Good morning. Man, can we give the Lord another round of applause? That was just such a powerful time in worship. Uh, thank you to our worship team for guiding us into God's presence. Um, you guys do such a wonderful job each week, and we thank you for your hard work in taking us to the Father in worship. Guys, I'm excited. My name is Gus Hernandez. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and it is an honor and a privilege to be able to preach this morning. And I just want to say a big welcome to those of you who are here visiting with us. Thank you for choosing to worship with us. I know some of you, it could be that maybe you've been coming to visit for a few weeks. Maybe this is your very first time visiting. This could even be like your first time ever in church. And I just want to say thank you. Thanks for taking that step to come out here. And, and here's what I want you to know about Reality Church. Like, our church exists to help people discover and display the reality of Jesus. Like, we uh, don't want to pretend like we've got all of life figured out. We don't want to pretend like we're, like, perfect people in this room. No, like, we want you to know this. Like, we, when we gather as a church, we're people with real struggles, with real issues, that are trying to pursue after Jesus Christ. And we also want you to know this about our church, like this is a safe place to explore the message of Jesus. And so no matter where you are on your journey of faith, I invite you to lean in to explore the teachings of Christianity. And so thank you so much for being here. I look forward to getting to meet you after the service. Well, today's topic is a little bit heavy. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you straight up that this is one of those passages, it is tough. There's no like easy way to go through this. There's no like soft way to like discuss the seriousness and the heaviness of this topic. And, and, and I'll be straight up with you. As I was preparing to preach this message, my mind immediately started going back to some of the examples of persecution that I've personally seen and witnessed around the world. In my previous job, before moving back to Miami, I had the privilege of serving as a pastor of mobilization and mission. And so I've been in different parts of the world and I've spent time with believers in different countries, sat in their living rooms at their house churches and heard the stories that they have persevered and been through as they've stepped out in faith to follow Jesus Christ. I remember vividly being in one home in Southeast Asia and I'm sitting around this group and I'm sharing a meal with these believers and they start telling me their stories of conversion, of how they came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I was loving it. It was so powerful for me to hear their stories. But with their stories, they also shared some of the pain and the suffering that they had to endure because they made that decision. I remember vividly one young lady in the room says, man, because of my faith, I've been disowned from my family. My father found out that I'm a believer and he has disowned me. Another person chimed in, yeah, because I became a, a follower of Jesus, my landlord, who was part of the majority religion in that country, found out that I'm a Christian and made me pack up my bags and kicked me out of my apartment. So I'm looking for a place to stay. Another person was able to chime up and say, man, because our family converted, we were in a part of the country that was a little bit uh, more intense in far as the way that they would persecute Christians. And this person saw their grandmother murdered in front of them for being a Christian and the pastor shot in the head. Awful stuff. And I'm in tears in the room. And then in the midst of the tears, rejoicing started to emerge because they considered it a great joy to suffer with the Messiah that they have placed their faith, Jesus Christ. And they all started saying, like, we knew this would happen, 
We counted the cost. It was part of Jesus' message. If you pursue a life holistically following after him, you knew that this was a possibility. And they all would say, yes, we counted a great joy to be able to suffer on behalf of Jesus because he suffered so much on our behalf. And I got to be honest with you, we have it pretty good in the United States. We live in a country where, at the moment, it is not illegal to be a Christian. That's not something to be you know, sad about or mad about. Like, praise God, that's good. That's a great thing. We live in a country that lets us openly practice our faith. We can gather here on a Sunday without the fear that there's going to be some military group bust through those doors to arrest us for proclaiming the message of Jesus. Praise God for that. So persecution is going to look different in different parts of the world, but I don't want you to go through life thinking that just because you live in the United States that you're not going to encounter opposition for your faith because this is a promise that you're going to see in Scripture. If you choose to live your life pursuing holiness, if you choose to pursue your life proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ, you will face opposition. In fact, if you're taking notes, and I want to encourage you to do so, here's kind of like the whole sermon wrapped up into one simple statement, and it would simply be this, that disciples who live on mission will face persecution and must trust in the Lord for endurance. We're going to put this point up on the screen. Disciples who live on mission will face persecution and must trust in the Lord for endurance. Did you guys catch that? Disciples who choose to live on mission, you will face persecution. And so if you've been joining us, we're currently in a study of the gospel of Matthew. In the, in the Bible, there's two main parts to the Bible. There's the Old Testament, there's the New Testament. In the New Testament, the first four books of the New Testament, the New Covenant, are the gospels. Those are letters from apostles writing and capturing the story of Jesus Christ. And in the Gospel of Matthew, we're in chapter 10. And a few weeks ago, we started the first part of chapter 10, where Jesus is gathering his disciples and he's sending them out on mission. In the part that we're covering today, we're going to pick up on that instruction. After he sends them out, he gives them instructions. He says, this is what I'm calling you to live and do. Then he gives them some encouragement and a warning in the passage that we're going to cover today. And let's be real, Jesus does not hold back in this warning. He's going to use some very vivid language. He's going to make it very clear to the disciple that being a faithful disciple is going to bring opposition and even persecution into your life. So here's the first main point. We're going to look at two major points. And then under each main point, there's going to be two subpoints. The first point is this, living on mission will bring persecution. Look back there at verse 16. It says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of them because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in your synagogues. You will be even brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. Look back at verse 16. You see that I am sending you out. Very fascinating. The way that that wording is constructed in the original language, it has this idea of a continuous way of life. Jesus is sending them out. And I don't want you to miss this. Like, Jesus is being very intentional to remind the disciples that what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a disciple, is to live with a purpose, that you live 
on mission for God. That is part of who you are. That is part of what God is calling you into. He's inviting you to join him because he is a God on a mission to rescue his people. And when you come to Jesus Christ, you take on that identity, you take on that mission, and Jesus is reminding you right here, I am sending you. If you're with us for a few weeks, you'll start to pick on some of our verbiage and language that we use as a church. One simple one is as we close our services, we like to use a phrase that reminds us of this identity. When we dismiss, we say, you are sent. It's a reminder that, hey, we gathered, we worshiped, we were encouraged as a group of believers, and now we're getting ready to go back out into our lives, sent as missionaries of Jesus Christ, as people proclaiming the message and the good news of our Lord and our Savior. But I don't want you to miss this. Living on mission is a way of life, not a short-term trip. Living on mission is a way of life, not a short-term trip. I, like I mentioned earlier, have served as a mission pastor at a church where I would help organize the strategy and part of the strategy for taking the good news of Jesus to different parts of the world, embodied, you know, sending people on trips to these strategic areas, but I don't want you to miss this. Like, the mission of Jesus cannot be deduced to a seven or 10 day trip where you get on a plane and travel to some other country. That is part of a strategy, but you can't deduce the mission of God to a seven-day experience. What Jesus is calling us to is an everyday life experience. Like as you wake up in the morning, you recognize like, man, I exist to bring glory to God. I exist to help point others to him. I exist to live a life that causes people to question the joy that I have and where does it come from. I exist to be able to share about this Jesus that has radically transformed my life. Living on mission is a way of life, not just a short-term trip. It should be part of the very fabric of our daily lives. And I wanna encourage you to intentionally recognize that this is the life that God is calling us all to live. Look at the language that he uses, going back to verse 16. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Be shrewd as serpents. Be innocent as doves. So interesting to see the word pictures that Jesus is painting for his followers. Look at the first one, sheep. He calls them sheep, but then he reminds them like, hey, yeah, when you think of sheep, let's be real for a minute. When you guys think of sheep, what's the first thing that pops in your mind? Somebody said dumb. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've been around sheep. Yeah, I could attest. What else? What do you think of sheep? Do you think like ravenous, courageous, vulnerable, right? He's recognizing like, look, you're going out there into a hostile world. Because look at the way that he phrases it, like sheep among wolves. What does a wolf want to do with a sheep? Eat, devour, tear apart, right? And so Jesus is like, hey, look, I'm sending you out as sheep. But when you think of sheep, you think peaceful, you think vulnerable. Here's another word, fully dependent. They are dependent on a shepherd to be able to provide for them, to lead them, and ultimately to protect them. This is a way to get the disciples, look, I'm sending you out. The mission is difficult. The mission is dangerous. But you have a shepherd that is guiding you. 
You have a shepherd that will protect you. You have a shepherd that will provide for you on this journey. Then he says, shrewd as serpents. I love this one. When you think of a snake, right, oftentimes we think like sneaky. But here he's saying shrewd, like wise, like carefully calculated. When you think about a snake, a snake is always aware of its surroundings. I don't know if you've ever like tried to mess with a snake. I don't recommend it. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw out that disclaimer. I have spent time messing with a snake only because it was putting some kids at danger. And let me tell you, that snake was very aware of its surroundings as we were approaching from different angles, like it was constantly like head on a swivel looking at the two different counselors approaching it at this campsite. Like it was aware. And what, you know, Jesus is encouraging his followers here is that we are supposed to live this life where we are godly but not gullible. Like we gotta be wise, like, like snake smart, not snake sneaky. There's a difference. Like snake smart is what Jesus is getting at. Like be godly, but don't be gullible. Like be aware of your surroundings. Like understand what's at play in your relationships and the people around you. But look at that last phrase. But be innocent as doves. Here what Jesus is trying to communicate is that as we go on mission, don't miss this, he wants us to embrace pure motives and good intentions. When you think about a dove as such an innocent animal, that's a description of how the Christian is supposed to interact with those around us, those outside of the church, those outside of the faith, those who haven't professed faith in Jesus. Like we're supposed to have this behavioral innocence so that when the message of God is spread, people aren't looking at our actions, looking at our words and detesting us because of the way that we present it. But they're gonna see a different side. We're gonna demonstrate what purity looks like in action and in word, like we are meant to be innocent as doves. And as we've been talking about, living on mission will bring persecution. So I want to give you two ways in which this persecution comes. And the first one is this, living on mission can be dangerous, can be dangerous. Look back at verse 17 and 18. It says, beware of them because they will hand you over to the local courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will even be brought before the governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were non-Jews. Jesus warns the disciples right out the gate, living on mission, it will be dangerous. In their context, the message they were about to embark on to, to share and to like take to the community was going to immediately make them an enemy of the religious leaders in that community. And it was going to require them to bring them into their synagogues to start beating them for proclaiming this message of Jesus as Lord and Savior, as the Messiah, the anointed king that the Jews have been waiting for, even to the point where he told those disciples, at some point, you're even going to get brought into the government, and you're going to be dragged into courts, and you're going to be given an opportunity, I love this, look at that phrase, to bear witness to them. And this is amazing, like Jesus is using very vivid image here to remind them like, hey, this calling, it's dangerous. You're going to be arrested for it. You're going to be dragged to court. But in all of these situations, if you understand what's happening, you're going to have opportunities to testify and bear witness to the people doing this to you. It's amazing, like God could take all of these painful situations and he can turn them as an opportunity to declare the truth of Jesus Christ. The mission of God is not only dangerous, but look at the second thing in this passage. It's also divisive. 
Living on mission can be divisive. Look back at 21 and 22. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and even have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Living out the mission of Jesus is divisive, not only in society, as we just saw in the previous point, but sadly, it can also be divisive in our own homes, in our relationships. It can be divisive among family. It can be divisive among friends. And sure, certainly, like I've heard beautiful, powerful stories of how the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, radically transformed a person and then eventually transforms the whole family. In fact, that's my story. Like, I was the first Christian in my family. And through time, I was able to share my faith and see my mom come to know Jesus. Then my sister came to know Jesus. Eventually, my dad started coming to church with us. And eventually, my dad came to know Jesus. Like, it was beautiful. Like, that can happen. And we celebrate the moments where that happens. But I got to tell you, I've also seen the opposite. I've seen someone step out in faith, overcoming their fears, placing all of their trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, and then immediately having opposition in the home, whether it's between a spouse or maybe it's family, maybe it's friends, maybe it's their own kids. Like I've seen opposition because now the person who's trusting Jesus wants to live a certain way to bring honor and glory to God. And the people that aren't following Jesus yet are struggling with understanding what that's going to look like, how it's going to interact with their family dynamics, their habits, their culture. All these different things are at play. And so we know that from Scripture, following Jesus, living out his mission can be divisive. But can I tell you this, that there's a difference between divisiveness for your beliefs and divisiveness because of your lack of tact and how you approach people. So let, let's, let's tackle that for a moment. There's one thing for you to experience divisiveness and you're just being faithful to proclaim Jesus and you're just faithfully living it out. And then there's a divisiveness that can occur because of a lack of tact, like a lack of understanding how you should engage people who don't follow Jesus yet. And so I'm going to give you an example. Like if you come home after like trusting in Jesus and you start name calling all your family members and friends for not following Jesus and you use demeaning language like, oh, I'm so glad I finally see the light. And, you know, it's too sad. You don't see the light yet. And, you know, I'm saved. You're lost. And you start using all these terms. Can I tell you, like that divisiveness is not because of Jesus. That's because of you. Like, you've chosen an approach that is not wise. You go back to the descriptors that Jesus gave us, right? Wise, shrewd as a snake, innocent as a dove. A person who truly loves and cares for their family is going to communicate the message with grace. You're going to want to approach them differently. You're not going to try to demean those who aren't in the faith, who haven't started going to church. That's not the message of Jesus. Like, that's not the method. You know, unfortunately, I've seen some really bad examples of proclamation. I've seen Christians be needlessly offensive for no reason. Um, earlier this year, we had a couple of street preachers in Brickell um, every weekend just yell insults at people. Um, when I was a campus minister at FIU, I've also seen it at the University of Tennessee. I've seen people show up to campus with a megaphone and just insult student after student after student. 
Can I, can I just tell you for a minute, how effective do you really think that is? Not at all. You know, it broke my heart because here are the students that I'm trying to engage and have conversations with, that I'm trying to love and care for and have meaningful dialogue with, and someone shows up and just starts yelling insults. I want you to hear this. That is not the message of Jesus, and that's not the methodology of Jesus. Like, we don't see that in Scripture. To walk around and just insult people and yell at them from a megaphone is not going to sit down and make some, you know what, that guy may be right. I've been wondering why I look so stupid. Like, no. It's going to push them further away. Like, that's just not using common sense. And so there's a difference, like divisiveness because of just the message of Jesus, that's going to happen. But divisiveness because you are being abrasive, that's a you problem. And we got to do better as a church, like to understand there's a way to go about the mission of God, and then there's a way not to go about it. Insulting people does not match up with the teachings of Jesus. That is not what he called us to do. He called us to be bold. He called us to proclaim the truth. He does not call us to mock people. And brothers and sisters, I want you to hear this. When you start pursuing Jesus, you are going to see that there is a narrative that the world around us believes, and the message of Jesus goes against that narrative. How you have conversations with people matters. The way in which you approach those conversations matter. We have several passages of Scripture that tells us, yes, speak up, give an answer, be bold, but do it with graciousness. Do it with gentle love and care from a posture of innocence, from a posture of goodwill with good motives and good intentions. That is the message of Jesus. You see here, after explaining the persecution that his disciples will face, Jesus goes on to share some encouragement here in this passage to help the disciples be able to endure and persevere Look at the second main point of our passage of scripture. We've already seen that living on mission will bring persecution. The second point now is trusting in God helps us endure persecution. Trusting in God helps us endure persecution. When we are under attack for our faith, we must remember that God is with us. Like he is not gonna abandon us. He doesn't leave us on our own. He doesn't send us out on this mission and, you know, abandon us to the mission? No, he is with us every step of the way. And this is so important for us to see. And here in this passage, we're going to look at two specific ways that we can trust in God. The first one is this. We're to trust in the very presence of God. Trust in the very presence of God. Look back at verse 19 through 20. This is Jesus speaking this, but when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak. For you will be given what to say at the hour, because it isn't you speaking, but the Father, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. What a powerful passage to think. In the midst of persecution, God is with you. In the midst of persecution, God promises to come alongside you and to help you. He's going to give you the words to say, and he's even going to speak through you. Like, what powerful imagery to think about this. Like, you, as you face opposition, can take comfort knowing that God isn't sending you out on this journey by yourself on your own strength. But God is saying, look, hey, you're going to face hardships. It's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. But you are not alone. 
as you are faced with these very tough situations, I want you to know that I'm going to help you come up with the words to say, in fact, I'm going to speak through you. That's the promise of God. That as you set out to live faithfully your faith in Jesus, as you encounter different opposition in different seasons of life, what a beautiful promise to take hold of that the presence of God is with you every step of the way. That's amazing. Now look, this doesn't mean that you shouldn't be prepared for how you should have these conversations. This passage isn't saying that you shouldn't give you know, critical thought to how you would defend your faith. That's important. He's ultimately trying to get you not to worry. Look back at the beginning of verse 19. Don't worry. You see that? Don't worry. Such a powerful reminder for us that we don't have to fear. We don't have to be anxious when we encounter these different situations. God's presence will guide us in those different encounters. The second way that we can trust God is by trusting in his promises. Trust in the promises of God. Look at the next point. Trust in the promise of God. Look at verse 22 through 26. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to another. For truly I tell you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? The promise of salvation is one of the most powerful truths followers of Jesus have. This promise of salvation Eternal life in the presence of God is one of the most powerful truths that you could ever cling to as you decide to live a life for Jesus. But look back at this phrase, because what does it mean that if you endure to the end, you're going to be saved? You know, one thing I like to do before I explain what something is, I like to like tackle what it's not. Here's what this passage is not teaching. This passage is not teaching that you have to somehow earn your salvation. There's so many passages of scripture that say salvation is a free gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2, you know, just have to believe in the name of Jesus Christ and be saved. John 3, 16, Romans 10. It also doesn't mean that you can somehow lose your salvation. Like, hey, you're walking with God for a season, then maybe you crack and fall under pressure of persecution. You do something, you fall into sin, you fall into a struggle or temptation. This is not what this is saying. Like, somehow I was with God, now I'm not with God. It was just a simple reminder What Jesus is doing here is keeping their eyes fixed on the future promise, which is unshakable. In essence, what he's saying is like, hey, no matter what happens to you right now, no matter what the courts do to you, no matter what your family has done to you, nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. Like you will be saved. Like as you endure, you have eternity in sight. Like you're thinking about the future, like God has forgiven me of all of my sins and trespasses. Like he's taken my guilt and shame and he's dealt with it. And he's promised me eternal life with him. That is the promise that we got to keep in front of us because times will be tough. And we will be faced with situations that we are going to feel the pressure to want to compromise or walk away. 
And what Jesus is doing for the disciples, he says, remember, those who endure, you're going to finally see the culmination of this salvation that we have promised you, and it will be worth it. Stay the course. Stay in the game. Push ahead. Push through. It will be worth it. That's what Jesus is promising here in this passage. Look at verse 23. A very interesting phrase that reminds us of the seriousness of this situation. When they persecute you. When they persecute you. Not if, but when. And again, even though he's already introduced it earlier in this passage, he's still, the Lord is still reminding us, if you choose to live a countercultural life that seeks to bring honor and glory to God, and not bend the knee to society and culture, you will face opposition. You will face persecution. It's not a matter of if, but when. There's this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul's encouraging young Timothy who had become an elder of some house churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, in the city of Ephesus. And he writes this simple phrase, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Well, there's your encouragement for today, right? Like, imagine receiving that letter from the Apostle Paul. Hey, Timothy, just one quick word right quick. Um, if you choose to live a life that honors Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. Amazing. Thank you, mentor. Um, but guys, that's the reality. I think there's sometimes a false message of Christianity that gets spread that tells people, hey, you just give your life to Jesus and everything's perfect, it's rosy, it's peachy, it's amazing. No problems ever. Where do you get that from today's passage? Like as you literally are studying a passage in Matthew 10, direct teaching from the mouth of Jesus, and he reminds his followers like, hey, I'm sending you out on purpose to the world to proclaim this beautiful message of forgiveness and hope. But I want you to know you're going to face opposition. So brothers and sisters, I want to be very clear with you guys today. I want you to know the message of Jesus is beautiful. It is powerful. It has the power to transform your life. It gives you an unspeakable joy and a peace that can pass all understanding. And yet the decision to follow Jesus is a costly one. It is easy to repent and believe. Like it's not complicated but it doesn't mean it's easy as a way of life. Like the message of the gospel is simple. To turn away from your sins and to trust Jesus for salvation. That should not be complicated in how we explain it. But the decision to follow Jesus every single day of your life, to live that message out faithfully in the context of our city, a city which we all love, will be tough. There's gonna be decisions you make based on your relationship with Jesus that's not going to make sense to your coworkers, to your family members. And you're going to face opposition. And Jesus is encouraging you, and he's trying to remind you that what you can do to help persevere, what you can do to help endure, is to, one, remember that he is always with you. His presence is with you every step of the way. And two, you can lean into the promises of God. He will save you. He will ultimately rescue you. This doesn't mean that he's going to spare you the pain. It doesn't always mean that he's going to spare you some of the consequences of what's in motion. 
As I already mentioned to you earlier, they were brothers and sisters from around the world. They saw loved ones murdered. They lost homes. They lost jobs. They lost their houses. And yet, their eternal security was never at stake. They leaned into the message of Jesus. And as I mentioned earlier, here's one of the joys that they had. They all united said, man, we are so grateful that we were counted worthy to experience persecution and suffering on behalf of Jesus because we feel like we can identify with our Savior. Look back at the passage of Scripture. It shows you that a disciple is not going to be above his teacher. And what Jesus is reminding his followers is like, guys, I have been hated and will be hated. I have been and will be beaten. Jesus was killed and sacrificed on a cross. And so if you're identifying with Jesus, what makes you think that you are somehow gonna be better off than Jesus? And he's just reminding us that if we're gonna be his followers, if we're identifying with Jesus, then this comes with being identified with a suffering Messiah who suffered on our behalf. He even goes on to say, like, the people even called him a name. That word that you see there, Beelzebub, is like this master of the house was a common phrase used to describe Satan. Like, think about how, how horrible this would be if you are Jesus, the son of God, the creator of the universe. You're performing miracles among the people. You're doing all these great deeds. And the religious leaders that do not like your message start spreading rumors saying the only way he's able to do these miracles, the only way he can have this kind of power is it's demonic. He's from Satan. Like thinking about that, like just the grave offense of taking the handiwork of God and attributing it to the enemy. And Jesus, again, is using this language to remind us as his followers, hey, look, if, if the people around us in this day and age, in the first century, are looking at my life and message, and they don't want to turn to me, instead they're rejecting me to the point of calling me the devil. How do we somehow think if we go carrying out that message into this culture and this society that we somehow are not going to face opposition? Brothers and sisters, we will face opposition. But what we need to do in those moments is to not bend and break, but to stand firm on the presence and promises of God. And so as we close today, I want to encourage you. I want to take a moment. I'm going to give you a moment of reflection. And I want to just invite you today to make a decision to live out your faith boldly. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've never thought about your life as being a life on mission. You know, we talked about earlier in the message that we as a church, we exist to help people discover and then display the reality of Jesus. And we have three values. The first one is we do that by teaching our people to pursue God passionately. We want you to pursue God passionately as an individual, and then when we gather for worship as the church, we're going to pursue God passionately. The second value is we do it through building authentic community. We gather together outside of Sundays in different city groups. We spend together you know, time in hangouts. We go on mission together. We serve together. We volunteer on ministry teams. We believe in building authentic community. But our third value is we live on mission. Like we display the reality of Jesus in our city by constantly living on mission. It isn't like a one weekend thing. It's not a one day a week thing. It's a way of life.
And maybe you're sitting here and like, man, I had never really thought that Jesus is inviting me on that mission. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know he is calling you on that mission. And he doesn't leave you on that mission. He doesn't send you out without his presence. He promises to be with you every step of the way. But there are some of you in here who maybe have been too afraid or you've struggled, you've, you've wrestled with what the repercussions could be if you started to like mention or live out your faith. I want to ask you today, would you invite God to encourage you? We're gonna have a moment where I want you to pray. Would you ask God to give you boldness? Would you ask him to encourage and strengthen you to be bold with your faith, to be able to share it, to communicate it, but to do it in a manner that is loving and gracious. There may be some of you in here who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I want to invite you to repent, to turn of your sins, and to place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ to save you. Only He can rid you of the guilt and the shame that you've been wrestling with. Only He can provide you with eternal life and purpose. And so at this moment, I want to invite everyone here to just take a moment right where you're seated, bow your heads, close your eyes, and just spend a minute in reflection and prayer. encourage those of you who are currently facing opposition and persecution. I want to comfort you and encourage you. The Lord sees you in your struggles. The Lord sees you in your pain. The Lord sees you in your heaviness as you think about your family members and your friends that don't know Jesus yet. He has not abandoned you, nor will he ever. The Lord promises to help you speak up and respond in these times of opposition and persecution. I want to challenge you to continue to lean on God for endurance and strength. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we are truly humbled that you have rescued us and that you have called us into your family and that you have called us into your mission. You are a God who is on mission, wanting to take the good news of Jesus to those in need who want and need to hear. Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless this church as we faithfully proclaim and live out the message of Jesus in our city. We love you and we praise you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ.